When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The first thing I'm going to do is welcome you to the podcast, my friend. Uh, how are you? Or better yet, how's she cotton? Things are very good. We have a lot of similarities between us. Oh, uh, yeah? Okay. Uh, both of us are born in October. You were in the 17th, mine's the 19th, so happy, okay. be- happy belated. I think you might be on Greg Malone's birthday. <laughs> oh, good, good. I think so, yeah. Uh, and the other thing we both have in common is we're both from St. John's, Newfoundland. Yes, we are. And we both like to rent. Of course, I don't get paid to rent, though, but you do. Well, dare to dream, my friend. Dare to dream. Uh, you always get paid to rent. Uh, let's start way back in 1990. So right before, even before I was born, you rose to fame with your one-man show. Then two years later, you created another one-man show, which event eventually brought you into creating This Hour is 22 Minutes. Take me through those early years. Well, I started out in a comedy troupe. It was called Corey Wade's Playhouse. We were in St. John's. There was four of us. And I was always interested in politics. And inside that troupe, I used to do a kind of some single stuff, you know, solo stuff. And we were, the plan was, we were going to wait till everyone was out of high school. I was a year older, so I had to hang around. And then we were going to do some comedy shows. Then we were going to go to Toronto and uh, become famous like Kids in the Hall or Codco. That was the plan. Uh, it didn't really work out because some of the members got a big job touring Newfoundland. And uh, the group was kind of split up. And at the same time, there was a fall in town, Gerald Lunds, who was uh, down working with Codco. And the National Arts Center in Ottawa asked him to bring in a one-person show. And Kathy Jones from This Hour's 22 Minutes had a one-woman show at the time. And it was taking the country by storm. And the National Arts Center kind of thought, geez, I bet everyone in Newfoundland has a one-person show. So they asked Gerald to, to find one and bring it in. And he went around and he asked a bunch of people. And they all said no. And then he asked me. And uh, at the time, I was ranting about the Meech Lake Accord, of all things. And he said, you want to go to Ottawa and rant about it up there? And I said, yes. And I was so young, I didn't know any better because I didn't know anything about doing a one-man show but uh, off we went to Ottawa and we did the show and you know it's a bit of a long story but through a series of unforeseen circumstances the show became a big hit and it immediately toured the country and I ended up doing it probably 120 130 times and and it got the attention of the CBC and, and it eventually led to me being on 22 minutes I mean that's a short version you spent a long time at 22 minutes it was here you developed your rants which you brought to the Rick Mercer report How did you come up with the idea and what goes through your mind during that process? Well, when 22 started, there was only going to be six episodes and it could have been so many different things. Uh, There were four people and we had to create this show. And then there was uh, a creative producer and Gerald Lunds and there was a news producer and there was, you know, CBC producer and there was, uh, you know, the people who own the show. Uh, There was a lot of different voices in the room about creating the show that there was only going to be six episodes. And there were some great ideas and there were some terrible ideas. And there were some ideas that were improbable and, and there were times 
it was such an intense creative process but there was times where I thought oh my god this show is going off the rails and I kind of sensed it was either going to be a huge huge success or a colossal disaster and sometimes creative endeavors that are worth doing that's that's the two two options so kind of as in a sense of self-protection I thought I'll do a rant and then if it all goes south at least at the end of the day I'll be able to say well look I had this rant and I when I do a new show or when I go pitch the next show, I'll say, this is what I want to bring to the table. And they, I, I, I managed to squeeze it in there also because it was so cheap. It's still the cheapest two minutes in television today. I mean, you, anyone has an idea that involves television, you go, okay, it's one or two or three actors, and then we need costumes, and then we need cameras, and we need lights, and we need all, you know, all these things cost money, whereas the ranch was just me and a cameraman wandering around down by the docks. So it was very, very affordable, so they let it happen, and it worked, and then the rants were in every single episode of 22 Minutes as long as I was there. And I want to ask you this, because I enjoyed the rants, but do you prefer, like, the kind of graffiti background, or is it just anywhere that you can walk around freely? Well, since I started doing uh, this show, they're always in the graffiti alley. And originally, you know, so many things in TV, there's a super practical reason. I shoot the rants on Friday, and uh, my studio is in Toronto and perform in front of the studio audience on Friday. So I can't go far. You know, any other time of the week, I'm all over the country but on Friday I can't go far so the rant alley is just up the street from the CBC studios and over the years it's grown and grown so now it's a series of alleys and you know it's a perfect location I mean they're beautifully painted and uh, they change on a fairly regular basis and it's up the street so yeah it's just a that's what I like to do. It's it's an iconic image now, the Rant Alley, and I'm glad that I you know played a small part in that. You also had a segment, uh, you know, talking to Americans. What was the purpose behind that? And did things ever get heated o- uh, over the segment? The purpose behind that was it was probably my second or third trip to the United States. At the time, 22 Minutes was very famous for uh, ambushing politicians, <laughs> and I was really. I felt I was pretty good at ambushing politicians and I was making a name for myself and and Mary Walsh was ambushing politicians and she was doing very well. So we were very competitive and then one day Walsh put on the Marg Princess Warrior. She would always ambush politicians as Marg but then she put on the Marg Princess Warrior outfit and she took it to a whole new level and I remember looking at it and going well I might as well stop ambushing politicians because she's just nailed it, you know. And so I decided to go to the States and I went down there and I did some stuff that was kind of funny. I mean, there's no doubt about it. People are getting a kick of seeing me in Washington. But then the second or third trip, everything I tried failed. And I was kind of desperate. And I knew if I came back with nothing, I'd never get a chance to go back again. And uh, I just started talking to people and making stuff up. And I started making stuff up about a, a summit between the President of the United States and the President of Canada. And I said it was called the... And I said, our President is called President Ralph Ben Murgy. Do you think our summit should be called the, the Ben Murgy Clinton Summit or the Clinton Ben Murgy Summit? And people started coming up with all of these opinions. And some people started talking about Prime Minister Ben Murgy or President Ben Murgy of Canada and we cut it together and made the first episode of Talking to Americans and people went crazy and then I did that for the next five years. I read at one time that uh, just going through a little bit of history that you know George Bush uh, got a little bit pissy and Al Gore got a little bit confused when you called it like you know coming to 
Canada's capital of Toronto. Oh, or- yeah. Well, there's a story around the CBC, and I've never, <laughs> ever had it confirmed, but I've been told it a number of times, that when George W. Bush became president of the United States, the CBC reached out for an interview, and every sitting president had always done interviews with CBC, and they turned down the CBC flat, and then they said they will never be an interview between the president of the United States for CBC News, because you're the people who did the poutine thing. And they had to say, no, 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 that wasn't CBC News. That was, that was a comedy show. But of course, internationally, people think of CBC, they think of CBC News. And so I've been told numerous times that George Bush held a grudge against CBC for, you know, two presidencies because of, of me. But uh, no one at the CBC ever complained about it. They just chuckled about it. So that's pretty good. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, it's all in light fun. It's all a little bit of humor. And what I could see another network maybe not finding that quite so funny, but the CBC, they were pretty good. Now, of course, you know, your time came to a close in 2001 where you left the show. Was it just time? And like, what was the reason really behind that? The similarities between what I'm kind of going through now, I guess, are fairly strong, I guess, because when I left that show, I felt like I was leaving the best show in Canada and the best job in Canada. And uh, that's the way I feel now. But uh, I think... The reason why I left, well, I know the reason why I left. It, there was never any bad blood or anything like that, and it was a great job, and I could do pretty much whatever I wanted. And I liked working with the people that I wanted, but uh, as time went on, it was about eight years in, I had started working on another sitcom called Made in Canada, and I was producing that show. And I had come to realize that television is a producer's medium, and the producer, at the end of the day, gets to make the decision. And I wanted to be the producer. So I was no different than, you know, a cook in a restaurant who decides, you know what, I want to own my own restaurant. And I just wanted my own show. And you can't, doesn't matter how popular you are, On if it's someone else's show, someone else owns the show in TV, they own the show. They get to call the shots. I just wanted my own show. So there was no bad blood. It was just I wanted my own restaurant. And that's what led to the Mercy Report. No, I, li- I agree with that answer. I mean, I've read somewhere online that said that you and Mary Welch had a falling out, but I mean, you just gave her credit for doing, for making both of you good comedians, so I was like, no, that's oh, that's yeah. completely and Mary wrong. Mary and I, I, I mean, of course people said we had a falling out because we probably had 200, <laughs> um, you know, especially when we were creating the show. I mean, Mary and I were very different creative forces, and my God, we enjoyed, we had some great battles. Never, never really personal stuff, but we would get in arguments about stuff all the time but no 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 i mean there was no scenario ever where uh uh, you know i left the show because i had a falling out you know we were never we weren't like that like it was because see 22 minutes our strength was we were four individual people we weren't the beatles you couldn't break us up because we weren't together we were four people who worked together and very much four satellites inside the show everyone was doing their own like you know mary would do a marriage and i would do my rant and so it was never like the band was breaking up you know i talked to mary not that long ago i mean yeah that was that was never an issue it uh, it wouldn't it wouldn't fit the newfoundland mold either would it no, not, not in that sense. I mean, like I say, it was our strength that we weren't a band, we weren't a comedy troupe. You know, bands and comedy troupes break up, but Saturday Night Live doesn't break up because they're not a comedy troupe. They're, uh, they're a group of individuals, and that's very much the way 22 Minutes was. You know, we used to do a sketch called the Quinlan Quince, and we loved to do it, but in fact, in the eight years I was there, it was the only time all four of us ever appeared on screen together because 
there was no there was no mechanism for four of us to appear together in a sketch because it was too complicated to schedule. You couldn't do it. One person would be doing one thing, and the other one would have to go off and do the other thing. So that was the only time we were ever all together. It was a, a false construct that we were a troop. We never were. That's fair. I agree with that. Now, I, I do want to talk about Made in Canada, but because I know the, we've got a short amount of time to talk to you, uh, we're not going to diminish the fact that Made in Canada was a great show and won awards, but another recent event, the tragic event that happened was the passing of Gord Downey. Uh, you did your own kind of shout out to him. Uh, how important was that? One of the great things about doing the rant every week is... I think the perception is the rant is often about politics. It's often about something that's bugging me, something I think is funny or absurd or ironic or stupid. <clears throat> but it's really just what's on my mind that week. And the week that Gord Downey passed away, I mean, he was on my mind a lot. And I wanted, so it wasn't so much a rant as it was a small story. And I wanted to tell the story because it's exactly the kind of story I would tell about him if someone asked about him. And I was of two minds because I didn't want to make it even remotely about me or even the fact that I knew him. And as I said in the rant, I, I didn't know him that well. I mean, he did the music for, we use Tragically Hip music ex exclusively and made in Canada. So it started out as a business arrangement, but as a result, you know, I became friendly with them and, and most of the band has appeared on the show over the years. And I certainly appeared on the same bill with Gord a number of times. And um, my relationship with him is, like I say, was the peripheral, but he had a real relationship with my father because one time, Gore did ask me how to pronounce a word the way a Newfoundlander would, and I told him, but I said, if you want a second opinion, you know, talk to my dad, and he called dad, unbeknownst to me, I didn't think he would, and they ended up talking for well over an hour, and when I said to dad, oh my God, that was Gore Downey from the Tragically Hit, dad said, oh, he never mentioned he was in a band, he just said he was Gord from Kingston, and I thought that spoke volumes about the character of the man, and it kind of summed up, you know, Gord to me, and my entire relationship with Gord, really, over the next 20 years, whereas uh, if I did see him or we were at a gig or something, he would always say, how's your father? <laughs> I would tell him how dad was, and then we'd have a little chat, and that was it. In 2004, you started the Rick Mercer Report, because that's what yeah. we want you on for. So uh, you're still doing that, right? You're still doing the Rick Mercer Report. Still on no. <laughs> it. I'm in the office now. So what do you enjoy about the show? Because, I mean, 15 seasons, and you're soon going to clue it up. So what do you like about it? You know, it worked. It worked. I, like I said, opening my own restaurant, and uh, I had the chance to create the show that I wanted to do. Uh, I basically, you know, Gerald Lunds and I, who I created the show with, uh, we just basically wrote down all the things we thought that I was half decent at and could do, and then we put them all in one show, and it worked. And because I made that list to begin with, it contained th things that I, I thought I could do and things that I liked doing. That's why it was the dream job. Like, there was really no aspect of the show that I didn't like. I mean, I love the travel. I love to be able to do silly sketches with, you know, great comic actors. I love to do every part of the show. And uh, it's probably the greatest thing that's ever happened to me, that it worked and that people tuned in and watched it. And I've developed incredible friendships around the country. And, and the show itself, it's... There's no turnover. Like, I look out through the door there, the people that are outside my office, in the office, I mean, they've been out there for 15 years. That's the way it is. I watched Last Week Tonight with John Oliver. I watched The Daily Show with John Stewart. Do you kind of see your show as the Canadian version of that or compare it to that? No. Not... No, I don't, actually, because 
the, the shows are so different. In fact, when I think of my show, I think of myself in the Arctic or myself in, in New Brunswick. And those shows that you just mentioned, well, they're on four nights a week or five nights a week, but they can't, the, the performers can't leave the studio. And when you can't leave the studio, the people you can talk to are people that are on a circuit. And I'm not saying that this is a bad thing, but, you know, you talk to celebrities and you talk to authors and you talk to writers or whoever, you know, people that are on a, on a, on the talk show circuit, politicians, whoever. But I'm really happiest talking to someone that no one's ever heard of before that happens to be a lobster fisherman in PEI. That's what I like to do. And that's the big difference. You've been doing it for 15 years. Are you going to be sad to see it end? What's next for you? Oh, I know I will. Uh, I've done this before. Made in Canada. I wrapped up in 65 episodes, but we had an option to do a few more. And uh, talking to Americans... I love doing Talking to Americans and the crew that I did it with, Jeff Dion and Pete Sutherland. I mean, we were like, you know, a band of brothers. We had the best time of our lives doing that. And certainly after Talking to Americans aired, there was ample opportunity to do, well, I'm sure we could have agreed to do three more specials, but I just felt it wasn't the right thing to do. So I know that these things, I, I've been in this position before, but it's not easy. It's never easy. Like I say, I look out to the door there, and you know, most of the people in this office have been here for 15 years. In saying all that, what do you think is your, what's next? Because I know you just mentioned how sad you'd see or when, when it's all over, but what do you see yourself doing in the future? You know what? I don't know what the answer is. I know I'm not going to launch another show right away. Uh, otherwise, I would just keep doing this show. I, I really don't know the answer. You know, I'll be like so many Newfoundlanders. I'll be looking for work, I guess. <laughs> I, I don't see myself retiring. I just don't know what it is I'll be doing. The other thing I want to mention, I'm going to try to pitch this to you because I know you did an interview on the CBC and a, uh, I, I guess it was a Facebook comment that said that you should do your last show in St. John's. Now, I know that you kind of turned it down. You said, you know, the desk, we, we don't want to move the desk. I travel with the show as it is. But why, why not? Why not have it in St. John's for your final let go? To do something like that would purely be a vanity move on my part. It would be... Uh you know, the show doesn't move. I mean, if this show moved, I mean, if my desk moved around the country, then sure, that's where I would wrap it up. That would make sense. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, from a mercenary point of view, it would be expensive uh, to do. And again, I think I would be mostly doing it for vanity reasons. And also, even though I travel all over the country, you know what? I moved to Toronto to do this show, and there's people on, you know, who have been in the studio with me uh, every step of the way. And uh, I think it would be kind of odd to say, oh, and for my last night, I'm taking the show and we're going somewhere else. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, these are people who, like, I've been in this building for 15 years. So, you know, this is, uh, I've always believed in dancing with the one that brung you. And, uh, and they brung me and uh, it'll, uh, I opened here and I'll close here. Now, I like your answer. I'm not going to give you any disrespect for that answer, but I'm looking at it from a point of, if you did bring it home to St. John's and put it in the, the center that they have there, I mean, you could draw in uh, a bit of money for, like, a, a charity donation or something of that essence or something that you know you, you'd remember years later down the road well you know what i know that i'm going to be spending a lot more time in st john's and uh i will certainly be performing there i'm sure <laughs> but yeah i don't it i can't even imagine the logistics of moving the studio it's just a nightmare no i mean that's that's fair i i, I watched conan and them do it and i'm just thinking like wow like that's they, they do it now every so often but i was thinking like wow if rick if rick mercer did that that'd be kind of cool but no your answer is completely well, you i know, understand that would be a different show too because you know my show 
uh, it doesn't have a huge studio component. I mean, the audience is their ma- big part of their job is to be recorded for our uh, our laugh track, right? So we have a live laugh track, and the vast majority of the pieces. So it's not like I'm doing live interviews, and we don't have a band. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it's uh, you come to see a taping of my show. I'm up and down in 30 minutes. I'll do like 15 minutes of entertaining the crowd in between, but it's a quick night. So in order picking it up and bring it to St. John's, that might be a long way to go for a bag of chips. Now, if you ever did do something like that, I would hope that you would have your band name called the Wonderful Grand Band for obvious reasons. Well, they're not available, but maybe a band as good as them would be pretty good. Lastly, what are some highlights of your career looking back at it all? Boy, there's a whole bunch. There's some people that, you know, I love the fact that I've had every member of Rush pretty much every member of the hip I've had Rick Hansen on the show he was a childhood hero of mine I did a project on him in school and became a little obsessed with him and, <laughs> and he turned out to be as awesome as I, I you know he could have possibly been and I got to throw him off a bridge it was uh, there's just been so many memories it's, uh, it's a little embarrassing maybe I'll write a book I don't know that's gonna do it for this episode of Tobin Tonight our thanks to Rick Mercer for coming on the show Remember, you can find past, present, and future episodes on TobitTonight.com, Spotify, and iTunes. Follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and leave a comment or two. For Tobin and myself, this is Jacob saying, Watch out, Rick, my boy. Tobin is trying to be the next great newbie. Thanks for listening, and good night. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jag and Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network. Hi, this is Candace Sampson, the voice behind What She Said. My show is your destination for stories that not only entertain, but also educate and empower. Every week, I spotlight strong female voices from across Canada. Women who are changing the narrative and driving change. Don't miss out on these inspiring episodes. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon Music, or head over to whatshesaidtalk.com. What She Said can also be heard on blasttheradio.com, Mondays at 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. That's blasttheradio.com. It's time to dive into the stories that truly matter. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.